I want you to open your Bibles with me, John chapter 16, John 16. Uh, I want to bring you greetings from my grandson, though, just quickly. Uh, He turned eight months old, and and the last time I saw him, the only thing he... You're going to have to play that again. Uh, All he could say several weeks ago was da, 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 da. Let me hear again what he said. How did they do that? (laughs) John 16, we're finishing up a series today called In Search of Happiness. And I've been endeavoring over the last six weeks to teach you about biblical principles for a happy life. I mean, happiness starts first and foremost with our relationship with God. Temporary pleasures, things of this life don't offer lasting happiness, but a relationship with God does. You may want to go back and learn some of the things with us, how to be happy at home, at work, happy in relationships. Last week we talked about that number one relationship rule was the golden rule. Well, today I want to talk about how to be happy about the future, and I've entitled it, I Can Face the Future with a Smile. Now, let me tell you why I say this. John 16, 33, Jesus, after teaching his disciples... He said, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me. Jesus said, you can have peace through a relationship with me. On earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So it almost seems like a contradiction. My outside world is filled with trouble, but my inside world is filled with peace. And this is what I want to talk to you about today, because the thing that I know, if I can have peace about the uncertainty of tomorrow, I can be happy. But if I am filled with worry and fear, and we're going to talk about that first, kind of the first part of the message about worry and fear, uh, about presumption, how that undermines our, our happiness in life. And then we're going to look to the Bible, and I'm going to endeavor to guide you towards three passages of Scripture that will talk about the uncertainty of the future. God is an anchor of our soul that God promises to meet our needs in the future rather than let us worry about it. And lastly, we'll even look death in the eyes and see how Christ brings us the victory. So the future is out there. For many, it's dark, but how many know for the believer, we can face the future with a smile. Look with me uh, as we're going to talk about fear a second. Isaiah 43, if you want to turn there. But I want to first talk about fear and worry. Fear and worry are, I guarantee you, something that every person in this room is acquainted with. Fear and worry, uh, worry can rob our happiness and peace. Show a little picture here. It's a, a, a doomsday bunker. Uh, you can actually, it's got condominiums in it. It's an old missile silo in Kansas. Uh, they're selling these for $2 million a condo. It's got a theater in it, a swimming pool, all sorts of things. Uh, where you, and they give you a literally a written guarantee that if doomsday happens, you'll survive. Uh, if it's some solar uh, event, an economic collapse, a terrorist attack, a pandemic, they guarantee you that you're going to be okay. Well, how many know you can still be living in that thing and still be scared to death? I'm all for planning for the future. I think it's a wise thing to make preparations for disruption in our society or our economy. But at some point, your preparations have to turn into trust for God. Are you with me today? There's a lot of things to be afraid of in our world today. I was thinking when my wife went through breast cancer, there was a test that was done to see if there would be some genetic predisposition for cancer for our daughters, 
for breast cancer. Well, how many know, fortunately, it came out negative, but if it had come out positive, can you imagine living the rest of your life with this, uh-oh, I'm going to get cancer, I'm going to get cancer. It, these things are out there. I saw a headline the other day where you could literally uh, go to uh, take a series of tests and questions, and it would determine how long you were going to live. Well, if it said you're going to live to be 71, how many know you're starting to get afraid at 70? It's just things to make us afraid. Uh, hopefully with President Trump and the, and the uh, uh, talks with North and South Korea, hopefully nuclear weapons go this way rather than that way. How many know the things that go on in Iran? There are tons of things to be afraid of. Even if you read your Bible and you look at what's going on the earth during the Great Tribulation. So we can either have worry and fear as we face the future, or we can choose to head in the direction of trust in God for those things that are outside of my control. Fear, by definition, is a painful emotion that's ignited on the inside of us when we expect something bad will happen. How many know if you don't control your fear, it becomes dread, and dread becomes terror, and terror makes you stay under the covers all day? Are, are, are you with me today? It, it's a good thing if you see a snake to hop over it, but it's a bad thing if you see something potential bad happening that makes you fret and worry and makes you toss and turn and live with this horrible apprehension. Uh, fear can paralyze us. Worry, its cousin, worry can create an expectation that the worst will happen. I virtually guarantee you every person in this room has missed sleep, has tossed and turned, has thinking about something. But there is a way to deal with worry and fear. The scripture says this, to replace our worry and fear with trust in God. Isaiah 43 verse 5, God himself says, say this with me, fear not because I am with you. Fear is an imperative. Uh, it, how many know if the Bible says that we can live beyond our fears, how many know it's possible? I, 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 I'm fully acquainted with fears. I think some of my phobias have gotten worse since I had a struggle with anxiety. I have lived this firsthand and I know the power of fear to paralyze. I know what it was like uh, when I, I had to take three months off work a number, couple, several years ago. I just could not function. And I was becoming afraid to go back and try to re-engage my life. If you've never been there, I pray you never are. But I'm telling you this, I found God's strength in the middle of that. I learned to trust Philippians 1.6, the promise of Scripture. When God says, uh, uh, he, who has, he who has begun the good work in you, He will bring it to completion. Because I realized I could not finish the work God wanted to start in, or God started in me, but God could. And you can either give in to the fear or you can press in towards God, go deeper in His Word, and it will sustain you. Let me know there's power in the Word of God. The Bible calls the Scripture living and active. Uh, uh, if we cannot find a way to deal with it, listen, it will destroy our life. But I want to tell you, God is bigger than the thing you fear. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Fear and worry can rob your joy from the future. But here's another one, presumption. Presumption about the future uh, will undermine your dependence on God. Presumption is an interesting word. It is a self-confidence, which is a good thing to have self-confidence, but it can become an arrogance about our ability to control the future. One of the great challenges in life is as you grow older, uh, I'm 61, I have seen the sun come up, uh, we say come up, really, I mean the earth is what's rotating, but I've seen the sun come up every morning for a long time. But how many know there will be a day, one day, when that won't be happening? 
How many know one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? One day all of us are going to slip into eternity. But there is a rhythm of life. I've worked at this church for almost 29 years now. Uh, we pay on the 15th and 30th. I'm grateful for it. And uh, we've not missed a payroll in 29 years. Well, guess what? You can get used to that. And just because I was paid yesterday is not a guarantee I'll be paid tomorrow. But we live under this assumption that if I keep doing what I did, what I've always done, tomorrow is going to be like today. Now listen to the warning in this. James says this, you who say today or tomorrow, and listen to this, we're going to a certain town, we'll stay there a year, we'll do business, and we'll make a profit. And there is a sense of I'm in control of my future. I'm the one that if I just make up my mind, I'm going to do it and it's going to happen. And the scripture says that that's a bad thing. Verse 14 asks a sobering question, how do you know? How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? And this is not intended to instill fear, but what it's intended to do is to make us recognize our life is in the hands of God. I'm not the one in control of tomorrow. God is. I count the cost. I do my best to plan and prepare. I'm conservative in nature, but ultimately my future is in the hands of God. How many know? Not the GDP. My future is in God's hands, not whether Red River stays an active institution for the next 20 years of my life. Are, are you with me today? Not if God is the one that's in ultimate control. What you ought to say, verse 15, is if the Lord wills or if the Lord wants us to, we're going to live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans or your arrogant schemes, and this boasting is evil. It's not wrong to plan, but somehow we need to let God in the equation. And it needs to be deliberate. I, I had a friend a number of years ago. He was a podiatrist in town, and we both served on a board of a, of a social uh, help agency. And I left a, a message on his phone. I said, I'll see you at the board meeting next week, Lord willing. And unbeknownst to both of us, he died that week. And one of his kids called me and said, did you know that that would be the last time you talked to my daddy? And I said, I had no idea. She said, do you remember what you said? And I said, no. She said, you said, I'll see you again, Lord willing. And to live with that pause is a good thing because it keeps us in dependence, come on, on the one who is in control of the future. I don't have to be in control of tomorrow. I'll do my best, but I can entrust tomorrow to the hands of a good God. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. Now let's shift to the second part of this message. And what I want to do, I, I want to read to you three different passages of Scripture. We're just going to walk through them and let the Scripture speak for, for, for itself. But you and I, as, as, as people of faith, we can be happy and confident about the future because of God's promises. I can have a confidence what's about tomorrow. I may not know the details, but I can have a confidence because I know God and who He is, and I know what He has promised me in the Scripture. I want to talk about three things. First of all, I want to talk about the uncertainty. For tomorrow's uncertainty, whatever is out there, God promises to be an anchor for our soul. Let me say it again. Whatever tomorrow holds, whatever uncertainty is out there, God is an anchor for me. The second thing, we'll talk about tomorrow's needs. Because in tomorrow's needs, God's provision is promised. And then lastly, we're going to celebrate at the end about what God promises in death. He promises eternal life because of the resurrection. Let's explore it. Psalm 23, let's talk first about uncertainty. God promises to be an anchor for our soul. 
And I want you to, uh, on a Memorial Day, I watched uh, some of the old war pictures, and I, uh, I saw a Midway. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it was a classic sea battle. But I watched one of the big ships, and they had this huge anchor. And that anchor, God only knows how many tons it weighs. It was probably an aircraft carrier. And I thought, man, how big that had to be to hold that ship when they were in harbor from the waves and the wind and the pulling and everything. And that's exactly what God is able to do for us. He is an anchor in life when storms blow. Listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm 23, one of the most popular psalms in the Bible because it promises us his peace in this uncertainty. But it begins this way. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, how many know if the Lord is a shepherd, what does that make us? Sheep. Turn to your neighbor and go, bah. Some of you wouldn't turn if I told you they had a $20 bill to give you. Let's try that. Turn to your neighbor and ask for the $20 bill. How about a 50 or a 100? <laughs> well, anyway, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? A shepherd provides, cares, and protects the sheep. All that sheep's going to do is go out and eat grass and grow wool and have babies. The shepherd cares, provides, and protects. Well, guess what Jesus is called in the New Testament? He's called, yeah, he's called the good shepherd. David said the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. Very personal, not a faraway God. I have everything I need. This is not a promise that you'll never have a tight spot in your budget. It's not a promise that, you know, you'll never have problems. But in the midst of it, God is our provider. He lets me, listen to these words, rest in green pastures. He leads me to calm water. What does that rest and calmness implies? It implies that in the storms of life, God can be a source of your peace. When you're a grandmother raising children, a high-needs child, somewhere you find the secret place of the Most High God. The Bible speaks of God as a refuge. The Bible says God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. It's real, friends. Uh, he goes on to say, God gives me strength. As I will perhaps reference several times in this message, when I went through that dark season of my anxiety, I would, I, for the first time in my life, Listen, the difference between me at 60 and 20 or 30 is this. At 20 or 30, I didn't realize I had any limitations. The older I get, the more limitations I realize I have. The more I realize that I'm weak. But how many know when I'm weak, Scripture says, then I'm strong because I make the God connection. See, it's not a bad thing to acknowledge our weakness. God gives us strength. He leads me on the paths that are right and good uh, uh, the paths that are right and good uh, for the good of his name. Now, here's the key verse, verse 4. And I want you to say this with me. Even if I walk through a very dark valley, even though I walk through a very dark valley, I will not be afraid because you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff comfort me. Those rods are there for protection. That staff was there if an animal came to, to hurt the sheep, that the shepherd would go out and he would drive away the wolf, he would drive away the lion or the bear. It was a powerful thing. And what this verse is telling us, that in my darkness, God is fighting my enemies for me. God is there. The very things that I, that I try to worry about and become afraid about and all the things that eat away at my soul, God is there as my protector. You see, a, a, an uncertain future can make us afraid, or listen now, it can open a door of trust as we draw closer to God. 
In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul said these words. Paul the apostle, the great apostle, said it was so bad I thought I was going to die. But then he said this, but this happened so I wouldn't depend on myself, but on God who raises the dead. And I want to tell you, friend, trouble may be something that you just <laughs> hated every moment, try to drink your way through it, Xanax your way through it, or, or escape or going to go to Hawaii to get through it. But sooner or later, you're going to find out that those other things don't work or last. But God, come on now, will walk you through every step of the way, and you'll come out stronger on the other side. But when uncertainty knocks on our door, and I share this with permission, but Pastor Travis, uh, 33 years of age, strong guy, there's only one problem. He's on dialysis because his kidneys have failed. He needs a kidney transplant, and he's been living with this for about a year. He's ready to do it. I'm ready to go. And he gets a call last Thursday. And the call was, we have a donor. Uh, You're the second in line for this kidney. You may need to be here in a couple hours and be on the table. I said, of course, it didn't happen, but I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel anxious. You would too. But in the anxiety, in the darkness, you can find the light because Jesus is the light of the world. These things in life, listen, we gathered around him, we prayed for him. In his own soul, he reached out to God, and I guarantee you he has a deeper relationship with God today than he did before any of this started. Because when we're strong, we don't see our need for God. But when we face limitation, when we face darkness of the day, come on, God is with us and ever-present help in time of trouble. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. Your faith must be at work, though, in this. Matthew 8, 23, uh, we're talking about uncertainty. Jesus is on the lake with the disciples. There's a fierce storm struck the lake. And the disciples went, woke Jesus up, and shouted, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. The uncertainty translated into sure death. But Jesus asked this question, why are you afraid? You have so... And here's the deal. Worry and fear want to steal your faith. You've got to nurture it and keep it alive. And if your faith is based on a promise from God, come on, not a feeling or not a report from a professional, how many know if your faith is in the unshakable Word of God, God will never let you down. Come on, somebody say praise the, praise the Lord. Now let's, let's shift to the second one. The first one was about tomorrow's uncertainty. Now let's talk about tomorrow's need. Tomorrow's need, God promises provision. One of the biggest concerns everyone in this room has is whether we'll have enough to live on tomorrow. Am I going to be able to make it in retirement? Will my company stay stable? Will a competitor drive me out of business? I've lost my job and can I get another job? Will the government subsidy be enough? Well, listen to what Jesus said in all, all valid questions and concerns. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. Jesus said, so I tell you, Now, doesn't that sound easy? and, And that's an imperative, which means it's doable. If Jesus said, I could do it, it's possible to do it. That means I can do it. But how many can say, it is real hard, Pastor, to stop worrying? Well, let me raise both hands and both feet. It is hard for me. But the words of Jesus said, don't worry. Don't be perpetually uneasy and anxious or worried. How can you not do that? Friends, it's like a teeter totter. Either worry and anxiety are going to win. Our trust in God is going to win. See, these, this is the fulcrum. This is where, what it's about. Don't worry about your food or your drink or what you need to live or the clothes you need for your body. And then he says something pretty amazing. 
Life is more than food. In other words, there's something about life more important than the next meal. There's something key more important than the clothes you need for your body. This doesn't mean we don't work. This doesn't mean you waited home for the check to come in the mail. How many know we do our part? But even in doing our part, God has his part to do. He'll tell us to look at the birds of the air. Notice what it says. Uh, look at the birds in the air. They don't plant or harvest. They don't store food in barns. But who feeds them? And then he says something amazing. You're worth more than birds. So what's the message in this passage as we're reading? I have my part to play, but God, my heavenly Father, he's the one that's ultimately responsible for my tomorrow. Listen, I go to school, I work, I do my part. But how many know just because you go to school and just because you work, that doesn't guarantee you an income? God is the one. And I want you to remember the children of Israel. When they wandered through the wilderness with Moses, two million Israelites going to the promised land. They ate manna every day from heaven. It was supernatural provision. But when they crossed the Jordan River, the Bible says, they ate the fruit of the produce of the land. What does that mean? It, sometimes it was supernatural, and sometimes it was through the work of their hands. But God is still our source and provider. And this is what the Scripture reminds us today. This is why we don't have to worry, because when we're doing our part, God is there for us. Verse 27, a, a, a solid reminder. You cannot any, add any time to your life by worrying about it. I would suggest to you medically, you'll take time away from your life by worrying about it. God clothes the grass. And let's go back to that just a second. As medical technology becomes more, more, more deliberate, more pronounced what it reveals to us, your DNA testing, you can find what diseases that are possible in your life. I mean, oh, some of that stuff can be good, but it can get in your head. Come on now, the statistics can get in your head. Your doctor can show you the percentage of people that, I don't know what, die from a, 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 an aneurysm. And based on your age, and before you know it, that's all you're focusing on. That's all you're Googling, and it all, it all turns out to be the worst. I'm telling you, friend, in all these things, you've got to make a connection with God. You've got to let go of it and take it off your shoulders and trust God. He says this, you can be sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Faith is a confidence in our God. Don't worry and say, well, what are we going to eat, drink, or wear? Now listen to verse 32. The people who don't know God keep trying to get these things. In other words, they get up every morning with one purpose in mind. I'm going to work to make money. I'm going to do this deal so I can make a payment on my boat or whatever the case is. But what he's going to say to the Christian is this. You have needs. God knows about it. But your priority needs to be first somewhere else. He said, God knows your needs. Verse 33, you seek first God's kingdom and what God wants and all other needs will be met as well. What in the world does that mean? That means when I get up in the morning, I don't just get myself ready for work to make money. I get myself up ready to serve the Lord and do the will of God. And then I go out and make money as I serve the Lord. Are you with me today? It's a priority of our life. And Jesus said, if you will seek first his kingdom, he's going to bless you and he's going to take care of you and he's going to provide for you. I mean, you may look on a future with an uncertainty. Your job may be phased out. Your, your, your expertise may be being replaced by a robot. But I'm telling you, God is bigger than the robot. God is bigger than what's coming down the road. And if you'll walk with him, your father, my father in heaven, has a responsibility to take care of his kids. Come on, give the Lord a, a good hand today. See, this is why it's so important to read the Bible. 
It's because if indeed it's God's word. I mean, no, we can say we believe the Bible is God's word. Let me ask you this question. If I were to give you a buried treasure map and you were convinced it was true, would you go home and throw it on the dresser? I don't know about you, but in my life, I don't open every letter every day, and I, I just kind of let it pile up on my desk, and I wait till an opportune time, and, 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 and I know something's in there. I got a jury summons the other day. I know it's in there. Uh, my, my, my insurance company forgot to tell the mortgage company that they re- did something on the policy, and the mortgage company says they're going to replace my, my insurance, and I'm going to have to pay for it. I mean, you know, there's important stuff in that stack, but that stack gets so big, but sooner or later... You've got to go in there. Sooner or later, you've got to open those things. Well, that's what the Bible is like. If there was a treasure map up there, you wouldn't let it accumulate. You would go home and you would find that thing. Somebody gave me a note last night and I thought, well, I'm getting ready to, you know, go into bed. I'm not going to read it. But if it's important, you read it as soon as you get in your car. And if the importance of the Bible and we read God's word, God begins to speak these things through us. And then as we go through life's valleys and we face our worries, uh, faith comes to us. But listen to the last one. I think it will excite you. It's about a subject we don't like to talk about, but it is as real as it gets. In death, God promises us eternal life. I don't know about you, but I live in such a way that I think everybody's going to die but me. We think about it sometimes, in all honesty, we bury our head in the sand because we don't like it, because it's, it, 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 it's horrific. 1 Corinthians 15, the, the, the counter to death is the resurrection. But he makes this argument based on what if the resurrection is not true and not real? If that's the case, death is final and there is no life after death. And he makes a couple arguments then. Listen to what he says. He says, if Christ has not been raised, in other words, if on that first Easter morning Jesus was still in the tomb, your faith has nothing to it. It's worthless. You wasted your time by coming here on a Sunday morning. You're guilty of your sins, which implies you'll stand before God on Judgment Day. Verse 18, when you went to the cemetery, those in Christ who already died are lost forever. If our hope in Christ is for this life only, so I can have a better marriage, a better job, a better whatever, you should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. Now, I want you to think about the power of the resurrection. If you're, an, if you're an agnostic, an atheist, or if you're not sure about the claims of the Bible, I would challenge you to go deep, deep, deep in Christian apologetics to ask the question, what happened to the body of Christ? Because my friends, as many, many rational people have done over the years, Experts in their field have come to the conclusion that the body of Christ was risen from the dead. And if that's true, that is a game changer. Everyone that ever lived has died. Some people have been resuscitated through medical help, but they died again. But Jesus Christ died, and he came alive never to die again. If you deny the resurrection, if it's not true, you've just torn the heart out of the Bible and the gospel. It's meaningless. Throw it away. Your faith is useless because the object of your your faith is a dead man if Jesus did not resurrect. The resurrection of Christ when he came back from the dead was God's validation that the cross was sufficient to pay for my sins. And I can be assured that I will go to heaven when I die through my faith in Jesus Christ. If there is no resurrection, the humanist and atheist is right. People who live by the Bible are crazy. Those who live for the pleasure of the moment are right, and our sacrifices as Christians are meaningless. But if the resurrection is true, 
Listen, friends, it's a game changer. Let's talk about death. And, and, and again, the message, I can smile as I look in the future. You know, everybody, uh, nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but just not today. But you can face it with a smile. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. But Christ has truly been raised from the dead. Not a fairy tale. From, the, from looking at the Bible as a historical record, the Bible records numbers of people that saw him alive. And at one time, over 500 people saw Jesus. Notice what it says, though, and here's where it gets good. He's the first one to rise from the dead. And he's proof that those who sleep in death, the Bible's euphemism for death is sleeping, which implies waking up, you'll also be raised from the dead. Verse 21 ex explains it. Death has come because of what one man did. His name is Adam. But the rising from the dead also comes because of one man. That is Jesus Christ. And then he tells us this undeniable fact. As in Adam, all of us die. I, I wonder what it's going to be like when we see Adam in heaven. You remember when you were a kid and you, and you used to try to straighten somebody out, how you'd grab their arm and then everybody punch him on the arm? I wonder if we're going to get to punch Adam on the arm when we get to heaven. In Adam, all of us die, but in the same way, in Christ, all of us will be made alive again. Come on, you ought to be shouting right now because you have been to cemeteries. You have buried mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, children, friends, and you have left that cemetery with grief in your eyes and sadness because they won't be there Thanksgiving. But I'll tell you what, friend, when you leave, the, it, it, when you leave that, that burial place and you leave your believing loved one in that casket, you don't have to say goodbye. You can say, I will see you later because Jesus Christ rose again. And if you beat me to heaven, I'm going to see you there. See, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present, from, with, uh, present with the Lord. You say, well, what if I don't believe that? That's your problem. What are you going to replace it with? You're going to die and become one with cosmic consciousness? Come on now. There's more to it than that. You're going to fertilize the worms? I'm going to spread my ashes on the mountains of George. Well, what good is that? Okay, I digress. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. Death is an enemy. It was never God's plan. Sin caused it. In verse 42, he talks about burial. The body that is planted will ruin. It'll decay. But it will be raised to life that cannot be destroyed. My friends, people saw Jesus Christ when he rose from the dead. They touched his body. Thomas put his fingers in the, 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 where the thor, uh, uh, sword was stuck. He, he, he would appear in a room and then he'd disappear. He had consciousness about him. He knew people. He ate food. He had something to do. It was a resurrection body. He's got it. You're going to get it too if you're a Christian. I tell you the secret though. Now this is really cool. We will not all sleep in death, but we will all be changed. He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. Some event, notice verse 52, it will take only a split second. As quickly as your eye blinks, the trumpet will sound, and those who have died will be raised to live forever. 
You call it Gabriel's horn, whatever you like, but the Bible teaches in multiple places that there is a trumpet sound and the dead in Christ will rise and then we're going to go to be with them. Notice what it says. Those that have died, their bodies coming back to life forever and we will all be changed, which means if you're alive, when Christ comes back, when that trumpet sounds, you're going to take a rocket trip to heaven. Are you with me today? Listen, this is why I can face the future with a smile. Verse 54, when this happens, the scripture will be made true. Death is destroyed forever in victory. And we thank God he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, give him a good hand today. I don't want to die. I'm not looking forward to it. But I'm telling you, friends, when it comes, I'm going with a smile on my face because I have hope that just as Jesus rose from the grave because of his forgiveness on Calvary, I'm going with him too. Hey, let me close with this thought. Tomorrow is in God's hands. That's why I can be happy. You can re read predictions about the future. You can read the weather report. But tomorrow belongs to God. Revelation 22, Jesus speaking these words. He's contrasting the finite and the infinite. Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first letter of the Greek alphabet and last. I am the first and last. You say, of what, Pastor? Of everything. He is the beginning and the end. What does that mean? What he's just described is finite. Jesus is saying, I live in the infinite. Uh, he said it in Isaiah 57, thus is the one who is high and lifted up, the one who lives in eternity. And can I tell you where I'm not afraid of tomorrow, friends, is because Jesus is already there. It's 1213. You're going to lunch in a little bit, I hope. Wherever you're going, Jesus is already there. You're going to work this week, Jesus is already there. You're waking up in 10 years, Jesus is already there. Come on now. You're waking up in 30 years, Jesus is already there. Whatever the future holds, friends, listen. You breathe your last breath on this earth, the Bible teaches Jesus Christ is already there. And because he inhabits eternity, I can face tomorrow with a smile. Come on. I may have trouble on the outside, but I've got peace in my heart because Jesus is alive and I am too. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy. Let's stand to your feet today here, and I, I, I want to pray with you. I hope you got something out of this series in search of happiness. Next time we'll go back to going back to depression for six weeks. <laughs> now nah, I'm just teasing. Listen, you want to meditate on this. It's all online. You can download it, listen to it. I hope it strengthens your soul. But could we just pray just a second? I, worry, fear, let me know, it knocks on our door every day. This idea of presumption, it's hard, hard to be confident in life without being cocky. It's hard to be successful and still depend on God. But Lord, we want to bring all these avenues of human weakness to you and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I want you to pray for yourself right now. I want you to pray that fear would no longer control you. That worry no longer would be a thief of your sleep. The Bible says he gives his beloved sweet sleep. Lord, I want to pray that we would not be those that toss and turn, but somehow, somehow, we would learn to cast our cares on you because you care for us. You gave us an imperative as if it was possible. Fear not, don't worry. I just pray that you help us find the ability to exchange our worries and our fears with a trust in a good God. I want you to the best of your ability, just close your eyes just a moment. Nobody looking around, but 
want you to just kind of think of some things that you're afraid of right now and just put them in kind of a clenched fist. I want you to think of maybe you're afraid of a doctor's appointment or afraid of a financial need or afraid of getting old, being all alone. Could we just as a symbolic act of faith just open our hands right now and invite God in those things? Inviting God in our finances, inviting God in our health, inviting God in our journey through the valley of the shadow of death so that we will fear no evil because Christ is with us, the living Christ, not a dead Jesus in a picture, but an empty cross to remind us Christ is alive. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Give us all the confidence that you're the one that's going to provide for our needs. They're real, but you told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then you told us, in everything, give thanks. This is the will of God. You told us, Lord, in the darkness of tomorrow, you're an anchor of our soul. Scripture says you're an ever-present help in time of trouble. And today we say we believe it. And if we pass through this life before the second coming of Christ, let us pass it with, pass it with a smile on our face because we trust in the living Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. And because he rose from the dead, so shall we. In Jesus' name. Let's close with this last song. And if you don't have to just sneak out for an emergency, hang on with us here as people are making steps to the Lord. But in just a moment, we're going to have one last song. I'm going to invite people to come to the front. Uh, 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 we have a prayer team that's here. Because here's what I find. Oftentimes, when we've invested 35, 40 minutes talking about the Bible, the Holy Spirit will most times speak to us about something. And maybe you don't want to just file it in your head. Maybe it needs some action. Well, how many know a great place for action is prayer? Say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, maybe you really struggle with what's going to happen to you in your retirement. And it's really a burden and you're doing the best you can, but it's not enough. Bring it to the altar and let somebody pray with you. We'll pray about anything. It could be your life or just someone you care about. But the most important prayer need is about your eternal soul. And I want to ask you this simple question. God forbid, but if you died today or tomorrow, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Now, there's no question bigger than that. You don't go to heaven because you go to church. It was a good thing. I hope today improved your life. But you can't do enough good things to get to heaven. You see, the significance of that cross can never be understated. Jesus Christ died with a purpose, to be a substitute for our sins. It's like you owe a car payment, your truck payment, and you can't pay it, and the repo guy's coming, and you know it. And Jesus comes up and says, how much do you owe? <laughs> $23,419.17 and he writes out a check gives it to the bank says you get to keep the keys now go enjoy it just what Jesus did for our sins on judgment day he paid the penalty but just because Jesus did that how many know we have to act on it your doctor can tell you you can have a sinus infection and and she can prescribe antibiotics and she can give you some nasal spray but how many know if you don't go to the pharmacy and get it, and if you don't take it, how many know you're not going to get any better? You've got to act on what's available. Jesus Christ has offered salvation. I'm not inviting you to join our church. You're welcome to if you want to another day. I'm simply trying to be the broker between a person that's away from God and Jesus Christ who offers salvation. I was raised in church, grateful for it. But like I said, going to church doesn't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is I understand the Bible is we're sinners walking away from God, doing our own thing, 
We may be good sinners or bad sinners, but we're still sinners. But every once in a while, we hear this message that God offers forgiveness of sins. And we hear this message that if you'll turn and begin to follow Jesus Christ, if you surrender your life to him, if you make him the Lord of your life, if you're willing to deny yourself and follow after him, he'll grant you the gift of eternal life. Well, you're at a decision point. You either keep going and say, I might later, or you'll say, this is my day. And that cross, again, it's just a symbol, but it's a turning of a heart to God and a surrendering of your life. And I wonder if right now you feel like I'm talking to you. Because if you do, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit calling you to put your trust in Christ. We'd just be honored to pray with you as you make this greatest step of your life. So if you're here today and, and you need prayer for anything, they're going to be here to pray for you. But if you need to get right with God, if you want to ask God for forgiveness, commit your life to Christ for salvation. I'm going to encourage you when they begin to sing that you just slip out of your chair and meet us at the cross. promise you no one will embarrass you. But we'd like to pray with you and give you some things to help you with the greatest step of your life. Go ahead and sing this last song right now. Our prayer team is coming to the front. And if you need prayer, we'd be honored to pray with you a minute or two before you go. Most importantly, if you need to get right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming today.